Now I want to just talk to you all about what the Lord's put on my heart tonight. And uh, I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, it is a blessing that people, I love, I just love our church. I love the body. We're so privileged with the body that we have here. People who love Jesus and walk with Jesus and learn to follow Jesus and give their lives for him. And they give their lives for one another. And so we're so blessed to be in the house of God. I'm just excited. Um, I'm excited. I talked to Pastor Lee today, and he said, uh, and the other day a little bit more, but he was telling me about the trip that he's just been on. He'll, he'll be back very soon. He'll be back for Sunday. But uh, he was telling me about the trip, and he said it was just miraculous. It was a miraculous trip. So I pray that maybe we'll be able to hear more about it um, through him talking, sharing with us. But uh, it was a blessed time for him. And so I'm just thankful that the Lord used him greatly and that we got to be a part of that by praying. Right? We got to be a part of that by praying. And so, anyway, tonight I want to talk to us about something that it seems to me that it's been coming up a little, kind of re, a lot recently. I want you to think about how we've been hearing this phrase a lot. And particularly what we've been hearing in this current moment of history is the, the final two minutes. Right? We've heard that from Pastor Lee. He's taught that to us and really encouraged us that we're living in a time in the world at a point in history where it, it, it very much appears that it is the final two minutes of, of the earth or, or before Christ comes back and raptures his church. And so because of that, um, th- th- that's going to affect the way we live or it should affect the way we live as Christians, right? If we know that the Lord is coming soon, it should cause us to live in a certain way. Right? And we know that people throughout the country, and even there's, there's plenty of Christians that, though that may be true, they're asleep to that fact. But God has been so gracious to speak to us as a church through Pastor Lee and others uh, to keep us awake, to wake us up if we have been asleep, and to keep our eyes, our hearts alert and focused on what God is doing. And so with that, just thinking about that thought, um, that we're in the fourth quarter, um, that things are winding down in a sense, um, that it should bring some effect to our lives. And what it really should do is it should cause us to stay engaged and involved and focused. We should be very focused right now. Um, we shouldn't have thoughts all over the place, but we're focused on what God wants and what God desires. And so we're engaged in that. Um, this is not a time for us to be asleep, but it really is a time for us to be awake and engage in the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. And so what, what I want to tell you tonight is I, I want to be very clear, just even talking right now, this is not a rebuke, okay? Sometimes you can hear a message and you think this is a rebuke. This is not a rebuke. If anything at all, what I want this to be is an exhortation or encouragement to not be asleep, to not let these things pull you back into the, the ways of the world or the cares of the world or falling asleep in some fashion. But tonight's message is I really want it to be something that encourages us to stay engaged in these final two minutes, to keep staying focused. Um, and I believe we have been as a church. I really do believe we have been. But I know the enemy would love to cause us to fall asleep in some form or fashion. And so for us, this is an encouragement for us to, to finish well, essentially, but also to challenge maybe some of us in here who have not been engaged. I do want to acknowledge that. that there's some of us in here, maybe we haven't been engaged, and I just pray that it would stir you to move from the sidelines and move into the game, as Pastor Lee has taught us so beautifully. Um, and so my heart is really just this, is for us to talk about four different reasons that as I was thinking about this. There's four different reasons why believers don't engage in the mission, the mission of Jesus and, and, and I want to combat those reasons with the word of God so that you and I will confidently be engaged within this last hour. That we will be fighting and we will go, we, until Christ comes, we will be swinging the sword. We will continue to fight. We will continue to be doing what God has called us to be doing. Um, Jesus said that he, he wanted to find his disciples doing when he came. Doing. 
And I pray that that would be something that defines your life, that you are doing what Jesus has called us to do. And so I'm going to give you the four things that uh, just just jumped out out to me of reasons why people don't uh, engage in the mission of Jesus. And, it's, and I'll just give them to you right now. But the four things are this. And you can write them down if you'd like. But number one, it says, I don't know what to do. I've heard that often. I don't know what to do. You, you want me to engage in the mission of Jesus? Well, I don't know what to do. It's, it's a common thing that's said. Another reason would be this. I don't have the heart to do it. I'm just not interested. And, and that's a sad thing, but it's a true thing. Like, I've been guilty of that. I don't have the heart to go. I don't have the heart to be involved in what God is doing in the earth right now. I don't feel called is the third. And I don't feel empowered or equipped is the fourth. And what I want to do is I want to look at these four things that people will say. Why they're not engaged in the mission. Whether it's, I don't know what, I'm, what, what to do. I don't have the heart to do it. I don't feel called. And I don't feel empowered or equipped. I want to look at those four things. And I want to combat them with the word of God and tear those things down. So that we have no excuse there. We have no excuse. And I do think this kind of piggybacks a good bit off of what Andrew ministered to us on Sunday night. And so if you would, turn with me to uh, Matthew 9. We're going to be in Matthew 9 tonight. Um, and we're going to read verses 35 through 38. And then a little bit into chapter 10. A little bit into chapter 10. Amen. Verse 35 says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching And their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And jump down with me to verse 5. And he says, these 12 disciples, these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. And so I just want to take a moment of prayer right here. Father God, I come before you, God, and I ask the Lord that you would help us. As we open up our hearts to this word, Lord, to consider, Father, in the final two minutes of this time in history, God, in this moment, Father, that we would live lives that are engaged, that we would live lives that matter, that we would live lives that are moving towards your purposes in the earth, God, and not just being caught up in what we want and the things we just go after. But, God, I pray that the things we want is what you want. And, Lord, that that would move us into the mission of Jesus Christ in every way, Father. And so I pray tonight, God, that you would challenge us, stir us, encourage us through your word. Lord, that you'd give us the ears to hear, the mind to understand, and the heart to receive it, Father. And we pray that you bless this time. God, give me strength. Lord, feed your flock. Oh, God, I'm weak, but, Lord, you are great. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd move mightily. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, before we jump in, before I jump into the, the four reasons and combating those things, I want to give you some of the things that are leading up to this moment in the book of Matthew. So in the book of Matthew, the way the, the, the book lays out is in chapter 4 of Matthew is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And if you turn to chapter 4, you don't have to. If you turn to chapter 4 of Matthew and you get to verse uh, 17, you'll see that Jesus begins his ministry by beginning to preach. And he begins to preach particularly, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
He begins to preach the gospel. The kingdom is here. And he's preaching these sort of things. And so what you see in, cha- in chapter 4 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But then when you get to chapters 5 and 7, you see Jesus then begin to teach about the kingdom, right? This is the, the giant sermon we've all read and talked about, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and what Jesus does here is he begins to teach about the kingdom and what life is like in the kingdom and what citizens of the heaven are supposed to be characterized and how they live in this earth and so forth. And so he starts off preaching about the repentance and entering into the kingdom in full. Then he talks about what the kingdom looks like and how citizens and Christians who become Christians, how their lives should reflect the kingdom and the conduct of that. And then when you get to chapters 8 and 9, what you see is you see Jesus then begin to kind of display or demonstrate the power of the kingdom and the miracles that take place. And so chapter 8 and 9 is like a demonstration of what that looks like. And so you see nine different miracles in chapters 8 and 9. It's like Jesus is just popping miracles out. All over the place. So it's like he started preaching, he taught the word, and then he started showing the demonstration of the miracles. And then when you get to the end of chapter 9, what we just read, it is a transitional statement, a transitional passage in this book, in this part of Matthew, where the transition moves for where Jesus had begun to do all of these things, where he taught, he preached the gospel, um, he worked the miracles, to where now the transition is going to be from not just Jesus doing that, but he's going to move his disciples into it with him. And that's what he does today. Every one of us in here who is a born-again believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, Jesus invites you into his mission. And he has called you into this mission. This is what he does with his disciples. This is what he does with all people that are followers of him. Is that he brings them to him and then he sends them out. And this is the call that we have tonight. Is that Jesus' mission becomes our mission. And I really want you to think about that. Answer the question in your own life right now. Are you living in a way that reflects that? Are you living in a way that reflects that your mission is, or Jesus' mission is your mission? And only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to you, and and you know your life, and so I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you, but I pray that if the Lord were to put his finger on something in that way, that you would acknowledge it and confess it before the Lord. He is gracious and merciful, and he will forgive, right? And then he'll give you the grace To live it. So, uh, just giving you that understanding that this point in the book is this transition where Jesus is wrapping up, or not wrapping up his ministry, but in a sense, okay, I've done all of this, now you guys are coming with me. Alright, and so I want to jump in and I want to kind of talk about those four things. Again, the four things. And the four things, the first one was this, is that I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. People say that all the time, right? This is an excuse of, of I, I, I can't be involved in the mission of Jesus. I don't know what to do. I mean, you know, this or that. Do I do that? And it's very simple. And I love this passage of Scripture because it lays it out very clearly. And this is what I want to tell you. The thing you, to combat this is do the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry is your ministry. Amen. And the passage right here tells us what Jesus did. Very clearly. It's not like we got to do all kind of crazy stuff and learn a bunch of Greek to understand this. We can just read it right here. That verse 35 tells us this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Amen. Bam. That's the ministry. That's what Jesus did. It, go back to uh, go back to the beginning of uh, go to chapter four. Go to all these points. This it's just repetitive. This is what Jesus has done. He is preaching and teaching about the kingdom of the gospel, and in, and on top of that, he's working mighty miracles. He's working miracles. He's delivering people. He's caring for people. People with afflictions. People who are broken. People who have diseases. He cares for them. 
And what this screams to us and declares to us very clearly is this, is that Jesus' ministry is a twofold ministry. It's twofolded here. And you've got two things happening. You have gospel declaration or gospel proclamation, and then you've got gospel demonstration through his life. Hallelujah. It's a balanced thing that you see that Jesus flows. Both of these things flow out of him. And what he's preaching is he's preaching the kingdom of the, of the gospel of the kingdom. And what Jesus is going around and he's declaring to people that the kingdom of God has come through Jesus Christ. Jesus has brought the kingdom. And the kingdom is the, where the presence of God reigned and ruled. God's presence. And so he's inviting people. He's going around. He's inviting people all throughout these areas. Come to God's presence. I am the presence of God. I am the kingdom in a sense. Amen. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He's inviting people into this, y'all. And this is such good news that people could ever be invited into the presence of God. Because think about what, what was taken away from man in the beginning of the Bible. The presence of God. And now for the first time, Jesus, in a, in a way where he's inviting people to him, and the masses were before in the temple, it was only one or two, right? But now the masses could begin to in, inter, interact and have the presence of God because Jesus is inviting them into the kingdom. So you and I, it's very simple. What do we proclaim? We invite people to the kingdom. We invite people to the good news of Jesus Christ that he has come and he's made a way for you to experience the presence of the almighty living God. That is, the, that is such good news. And just think about the ending of the Bible. How does that end? It, it flip-flops the whole thing, right? The presence of God has come down the new Jerusalem. He restores it all. Jesus... He came to bring the kingdom so that men and women throughout all of humanity could experience the presence of God. And one day, he's going to finish it and fulfill the kingdom fully when he returns. Right now, it's only a small part. But one day, he will do that. And so, what is our job? Same thing. We begin to go and tell people, you're invited. You're invited to God's presence. I don't care how much sin and brokenness and disgustiveness you've had in your life. I don't know that's a word. But the disgusting things in your life that you have done, you're invited to the presence of God. And Jesus says, repent, and you can come in. Repent. And they get to encounter like that. That is incredible good news that we get to proclaim. And Jesus is proclaimed. And then on top of that, what you see Jesus' ministry do is Jesus, it says right there, right? And healing every disease and affliction. So in other words, there's that gospel proclamation that Jesus is doing with his ministry. But there's also the demonstration of that. He cares for people. He looks upon people's broken states and is concerned for them. And and the physical needs actually really reveal the spiritual need in many ways. We know that. But I think sometimes what we do is we think, all that matters is I preach the gospel. No, Jesus cared for both. He cared about people's afflictions, y'all. He saw people in the state that they're in, and he cared for that. He looked upon that. And so what did he do? He did something about it, right? Jesus healed their afflictions, and he he did this in in a way that brought life to these people, and he preached the gospel to them. The text tells us that Jesus was not only interested in proclaiming the gospel, but he was also interested in demonstrating it. Guys, if we're walking around right now and all we do is just proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel, but our lives have no demonstration of that gospel... Gosh, there's, that, that's, that's not okay for us. We need a demonstration. And so I was thinking about this, and I think this is right, Billy. I think this is right. I've been I asked about an airplane, right? You have two wings of an airplane. And to turn the airplane, right, you have to move the wings. One wing turns, and it moves that direction. The other wing, wing moves, and it moves the other direction, right? 
And there's sometimes in our life when we're encountering people in this life who are not, who have not come into God's family, who have not been adopted, who do not, have not received the gospel and put their faith and their trust in Jesus and walking with Him. And we're encountering them and we're trying to reach them and we're trying to minister to them. And, and we, we're like, okay, do I just preach the gospel at them over and over and again? Or do I just never say the gospel and I just do good things? Or what, what, what do I do here? And I think what this, you could think about it this way is that Jesus, he, he used both. There were times he would minister to people and it opened doors for stuff Amen. to happen for him to be able to share the word. And so I think sometimes in our life, it's like, we need to know that sometimes I need to use this, whether this is gospel sharing or gospel proclamation or it's gospel demonstration. There are times I need to use this wing and there's times I need to use this wing. There's no cookie cutter like this is how it always happens in the Christian life. And what this, what this does to me and what this affects me is if this is both a part of Jesus' ministry and I need to be involved in both aspects of this in my life, there's one thing I really need to know when to use what, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit guiding me and leading me because he knows the condition of this man. He knows the condition of this person. He knows that this person has had the gospel jammed down their throat and now they're just like, show me a Christian that actually walks it out. Or vice versa, somebody who's like, they are primed and ready to hear the gospel and God has sent you there. Like the Ethiopian eunuch. This is why the Christian life is impossible to live effectively and and, and in a right way without the Holy Spirit living and guiding us. He is absolutely necessary for the ministry of Jesus to work in our lives and through our lives. Or else we may look at the tools or like, okay, Jesus did it this way, that way, and we'll just, that's the way I do it. I'm just going to take that one thing. And it becomes like, and Jesus is like, no, it was the spirit that led him. He may have used the gospel. He may have preached the gospel. He may have cared for the needs, but he did so by the spirit's leading in his own life. And so we need that in our own lives. And so when we really think about this, this question, I don't know what to do. I just tell you right now, this is what you do. You share the gospel and you demonstrate the gospel. I think the problem, though, is that we get caught up in the details. And we're like, oh, well, you know. Wendy's got an LSU outreach. God, what do you want me to do? I don't think he's, I, don't, I, I think he, he's saying, you're missing it. I just want you to just, what, where have I placed you right now? God leads and he guides. Wendy didn't say, God, what do you want me to do? She just, she, you know what actually happened? She walked out on a campus where she was placed. She decided to do something about it. Because she heard young women saying and talking about things that they were doing. And, and the brokenness of those young women broke her. It's that simple. Like, where has God placed you? Where is God doing this in your life? And so we adopt this ministry. We take on the ministry of Jesus with our very lives. So the excuse of, I don't know what to do, it can be thrown out the window. It can be thrown out the window. The next excuse or or, or reason why people might not engage in the mission of Jesus is because I don't have the heart to do it. And the truth is, I think all of us to some degree fall into this place at times. I don't have the heart to do it. I mean, I know I feel that way. Um, But when you look at this, I think the answer to that is to have Jesus' compassion. To have Jesus' compassion. When you look at this passage, what you see in verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed, helpless, and like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus clearly saw the condition of these people. He saw they were harassed, helpless, and sheep without a shepherd. And I was thinking about this, and y'all, it's so... just Because if you think what, what it says here, what it says is this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. It was in the seeing that compassion was stirred up in him. And, and I was just thinking about this. Some of us in here are like, I don't have compassion. And I think part of it is because it can be so easy for ourselves as Christians to keep, to protect ourselves from actually having compassion. 
We will protect ourselves from compassion because the reason why is because compassion is uncomfortable. Compassion makes things difficult. Compassion isn't just attending Sunday morning only or Wednesday night only. Compassion does much more than that in your life. And so we, we kind of build these, we protect ourselves from it. And the way we protect ourselves from it is we prevent us, prevent ourselves from seeing it and feeling it. We present, we, we don't allow ourselves to experience the needs that are out there. And so if we can protect ourselves from experiencing and seeing the needs that are out there, guess what? There's no need for compassion. But what does Jesus, what does it say? He saw their need and it led to compassion. Jesus' heart, his, the very being of that, he, it was the compassionate heart. And for us as Christians, we have to understand, we have to be out there like Christ. We are called to be out there. And if, we're not, if we don't have a heart of compassion, it's probably because what you end up doing is building these walls around us because we don't want to be uncomfortable with it. And it is uncomfortable. Jesus lived in such a way that he did not hide from the needs at all, but he made himself fully available to them. He made himself available to the needs of people. He, he saw them. He met them. He cared for them. And in fact, this passage tells us that Jesus went to all areas, right? 35 says all cities and villages, all areas, all sorts of needs would be there. There was no area that was off limits to Jesus. And for us, it's so difficult. It's like, I, I don't want to be around that. But Jesus saw their need and it led to compassion. But it also says right here that in a sense he felt their need, right? The word compassion here is used far more than just a simple feeling. It indicates that Jesus is literally feeling agony. An agony in a way that his heart would almost explode. That's the kind of, in the Greek, that's the kind of language it carries over. And so in other words, Jesus was truly, truly physically affected with compassion. And I think sometimes we mistake, we mistake sympathy and compassion as the same thing. Sympathy, we feel bad for people, and we don't do anything. Compassion, we, we, we feel bad for people, and we do something about it. And, and I, I, that's why I say that because when you look at this, when you look at this truth of that Jesus had compassion, is that Jesus saw their need, he felt their need, and then he filled their need. And would you read later on, and we already read it, but what he did about their need is he sent his disciples into that need. He sent his disciples in that need. And you may think, well, compassion does, you can have compassion without action. Just, just, just for a moment. There are nine passages in the New Testament that describe Jesus and the word compassion. And every single one of them, there's action that follows his compassion. Compassion leads to action. It's just part of it. And so, but the, the, the difficult thing for us is that for us, we're like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I, I want that. I don't, I don't know if I want to be that comfortable. But it's Jesus' heart. This is the gospel. This is the truth of it. The story of the gospel that Jesus was what? Filled with compassion for humanity in their broken state. That it led him to action in that way. It led him to action where he came down put, being fully God and became fully man. Putting that on and coming down to earth and living in a way where he had to live with the humanity and the muck and the mire and the clay and all of these things. And suffer on a cross. And, and invite people into his kingdom and do and, and die and rise again. This was the gospel. The gospel would happen because Jesus had compassion on humanity. In other words, compassion is action for us. And, and, and somehow, I think in, in, in our American Christian culture, it's like we, we, we protect ourselves from this because it's uncomfortable for us. So I, I honestly believe to stay engaged and to really think about this thought, I don't have the heart. What we need is we need the compassion of Jesus. 
We really do. And I think compassion, you could think of it like this way. It's kind of like a muscle. It must be worked on in, it, in order to be maintained. And so we need to understand that we do not put ourselves in ivory white towers, but we must put ourselves among the needs of the broken. We need to put ourselves among the, the drunk college students like Wendy did. That's what happened. And it, when the compassion rose up, she, she, what, she, she saw the need, she felt the need, and she moved to the need and started a whole ministry that flows into, from our church. We need to put ourselves in, 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 a, in the path of our lost neighbors who are having marriage problems. But, but no, I don't want to do that because that's going to get really uncomfortable really quick. So I'm going to protect myself. I didn't see that. I didn't see them fighting. I didn't see the need. Jesus saw the needs. He saw the needs. We need to put ourselves in the places where we can encounter young ladies who are considering abortions. Like Bailey has led us into. This is what we must do. And so even when we ask ourselves, we can ask ourselves these questions in response to this is, do we see, do we see people as Jesus sees people? And I would say, no. Like, who does? No one. No one truly sees people like Jesus do. But the better question to ask, and, and that could be a prayer for us. God, help us. But the better question to ask is, if this passage, if we consider this passage, how Jesus moved was moved with compassion for these needs. And we have to have that compassion so that we have the heart of Jesus to engage in the mission of Jesus. Um, better question to ask is, what if Jesus saw people the way you do? Seriously, feel it. What if Jesus saw people the way you see people in this passage? Very little would be done if, if it was me. Very little. If it, if that, if it was like plug and play Felix, this is compassion there, it would have been pathetic. It had been pathetic, but what it declares to us is that the sort of ministry that Jesus had was one of compassion. And I just pray that that would move us. Just the thought and the question would move us to a place to say, God, begin to develop compassion in my heart. And give me the boldness to step out where I can see the need so that compassion can be developed in me. So that compassion can be developed in me. Let me be among the needs. The third reason why people might not engage is this. I don't feel called. And this is just simple. A lot of people would say this, right? I don't feel called to that. And I feel called to this and not that. And just the truth is, Jesus, what he says in verse 37, is he, looking on the people, he does something about it. And what he does is he does this. He uh, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus, uh, recognizing that people would say, oh, I don't feel called. He, Jesus has a calling. He calls us all to this. This is not something that says called or the evangelist. It doesn't say called or the pastors. It doesn't say anything about professional ministers. It says called are his laborers his laborers is who he calls into the harvest and i just want you to know you're a laborer if you are a follower of christ tonight you're a laborer that is what jesus called you to be and the first thing he calls you to in the midst of this is prayer he calls the disciples to pray right he says what uh, pray to the lord of the harvest pray we need to be prayer Prayer is the beginning of our laboring. Prayer is the beginning of us engaging the harvest. It's prayer. So as our church, individually but also corporately as a church, we, we, we labor in prayer for the harvest. And we have for a long time. We have. But we continue in that. We continue to bring that in front of the church on Sunday nights. We continue to bring that all the time because we, we labor because Jesus calls us to labor in prayer. 
Prayer is not just something that the religious do. It is something that Jesus calls us to to make a difference in the earth. And so prayer must be part of what we do as, as people who follow Christ and who are called by Christ is prayer. Take a moment, and even at the end of this, we're going to pray for the harvest. We're going to fulfill this scripture in our very lives by praying for the harvest. But the second calling you see there is then he says what? Therefore pray to send out labors into his harvest. The call is to go to the harvest. A call to the harvest. Jesus does not tell us to pray for more labors necessarily, but he says pray that the Lord would send his laborers. So you, you guys, us, the body, not the professional ministers necessarily, though we do go. But you, the beautiful body of Christ, are the laborers. And Jesus says these are called to the harvest in the midst of this. And so we must come to understanding that all of Jesus' followers are his laborers. Every one of us in here. You don't have to have some crazy degree or some crazy thing in your life. You just have to be a willing follower of the call of Jesus. And this, could, this is going to look different for everybody. Don't look at the person next to you and think, okay, their call was like this, and so I need to be like that. Or um, they mention this person's ministry all the time, so I need to have my own ministry like that. Your call is probably going to be a lot different. For some mothers in here with young children, that calling to engage the harvest of your children is one of the, is the greatest gift. And fathers. Fathers are not, they're not, they're definitely all part of that same thing. But we are called to engage our kids then. We're not called to just bring them to church. We're called to engage them. We're called to, to move and then to go into the harvest and call our kids to know Christ and invite them into the presence of God and the kingdom of God and all these things. And so your ministry or your call that God has for you may look different, but it will be in a harvest. Maybe look a little different, but it will be in a harvest. I was thinking about this and just regarding some of these things, and it's kind of like when a coach calls your number in the game, right? He calls you and he says, if any of you played sports before and, and you're just you're sitting on the bench and you're ready to get in the game and all of a sudden the coach calls your number and he says, go in the game. That's what Jesus has done with every one of us. There's not one of you that he says, sit down. He says, every one of us, go. Go and participate. I mean, just think about even the, the, the Samaritan woman. She encounters Christ and the first thing she does is go proclaim the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So you don't have to tell that you can't go share your faith with somebody because you're freshly saved after only a month or a week or two days. You can go today. You're called to it. You're called to it. And so what does this, what does this mean or what does this, how should this affect my life? I think it should, we really should be asking the question to God is, God, where are you calling me to move? Where are you calling me to actually live actioned out lives and move in that way? And I think the simple thing for us is to say, start where is where God has already placed us in the relationships he's given us. Neighbors, family, workplace, hobbies, school, and sports. All of these areas. Who's there right now? Who's there right now? God has called you into that place to be a minister. I, I think about this all the time. I, I asked somebody the other day, what do you do for, uh, what do you do? Um, or some, I can't remember how it came up. But there was a conversation about profession. And I think as Christians, and, I, and believe me, I understand it. But I think we're so earthly sometimes. That, but we should be more heavenly, and I, believe me, I, this is normal, but I think we shouldn't be normal. That when somebody were to ask, what do you do for a living, our answer should not be, I am a plumber. It, if you were a plumber, but right, if you were a plumber, you wouldn't necessarily say, I'm a plumber. But the answer as a Christian really should be, I'm an ambassador for Christ. That is the call. 
That is your call. Like, but for some reason, that's like, like not even on our radar, right? Like, no, have any of you ever said that? Somebody said, what do you do for a living? You know what I do for a living? I'm an ambassador for Jesus, and my day job is uh, this. Like, nobody really does that. But that actually, according to Scripture, that's actually the biblical way to think about things. Is that my life is not just this, I'm all, you know, I just do this job. Because when you start thinking of it that way, when you start thinking about I'm an ambassador of Christ, this job doesn't have to be this boring thing you do, but it is a field of, where you have an opportunity to be one of the greatest ambassadors for Jesus in that field. It changes your perspective of your work. And I think that we have to have that perspective change, that we are called by Jesus. And even thinking about this, I was kind of just, it was funny, I was today, um, that the Lord... Really, you, you today, you, me and you, the reason why we are here today, why we're born again today is because someone actually answered this call. Amen. And so are you, is somebody else going to have that opportunity with you because of your obedience? Is your obedience, is it going to stop with you, right? Here was the call. Somebody was called by Jesus to go into the harvest. And they, they went and they shared their faith with you. And because of their obedience, you were born again. And, the, and the, the question is, are we going to continue that? Are we going to say, well, not me. I'm not called. The Christian life is not one that's like, boop, and that person stops. It is supposed to continue and continue and continue as each one of us are called into the ministry of Jesus and called by Jesus. Jesus has a calling for our lives in that sense. And so obedience to this calling determines great things. It makes a difference. And so I just want you to think about, I do, I want you to think about, consider that you were born again today because someone else followed the call of Jesus into the harvest. And I just ask you, will you do the same for someone else? Or will you say no to the call? Pray that we'd say yes. And then the fourth and final reason why we might not engage the harvest is I don't feel empowered or equipped. And this is common too, but um, I think the answer to that is really just Jesus' empowerment. Chapter 10, where Jesus now extends his ministry, he says it right here in verse 1. He says, he called to him his, his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And what I love about this is that Jesus in this sense, it says that he called them to him. And, he, and, and really when you look at it, he calls us to him to send us. He called us to him to send us. And somehow the Christian life becomes he called me to he called he called us to him and there's and we never follow the next step. In many ways, it's like not me, not me, no. But Jesus calls us to send us. That's what he did. He said he called his disciples to him, and then what? He empowered them and sends them out. That's what Jesus is doing with our very lives. And so when you even look at this, this is just a beautiful thought: is that Jesus calls his disciples with the intent to send them. That's what he's doing. And so, part of this is when you look at this thing: is what he does is he how he empowers them. He gives them his very authority. It says that he gave them his authority, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is what Jesus has given us. And so, Jesus' intention is for his ministry to continue through you and I. Think about it. How was his ministry described earlier? What was he doing? casting out he was doing all these things right he was casting out he was healing diseases and every affliction uh yes he was preaching and teaching and all of those things and now jesus intends that to continue through you and i that is a beautiful uh, that's a beautiful thing and the and the way that it will continue is because we have his authority to do it 
We have his authority to do it. And this is just not some weak authority, but this is the authority of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 says, tells us that Jesus, all authority has been given to Jesus. All authority. And Jesus then said, therefore says, well, I extend that authority to you to go and to do these things. And what he calls his disciples to do in this passage is very clearly the same thing that he was doing. Healing, verse, verse uh, 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay. And proclaim, verse 7, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus extends that call to us by his authority. And so it's very simple when you think about it in these terms. When, as you and I, we're ambassadors for Jesus. We're called by Jesus. We're going out by Jesus with his authority. You could think of it like this. In the 1700s, when American ambassador would go to France, he would, when he would go to France, he would have the ability to determine what would be done there. So if they would, they'd be making deals because he couldn't call back home or whatever. They'd be making deals and all of these things of that sort. And he would have the authority to do it. But it wasn't in his own authority that he went. He didn't have his own authority to go make the decision on behalf of the United States. It was because the United States gave him that authority to do those things. And Jesus has given you the authority to actually make a difference in this world. Like to not just sit around, but to make a difference. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost and then to destroy the works of the devil. And he, and he did that because he had the authority to do that destroy the works of the devil and he extends his authority for us to go y'all to advance his kingdom to be involved in this and so musicians you can come up but my but my thought is with all of this y'all is that yes it, it I, I say all this to you because i don't want this to be an, a rebuke i said that earlier it's not a rebuke but i'm saying this to us to really consider and to think i don't want to fall back asleep we have to keep going this way. If, if it is true, which I believe it's true, we've heard it, that there's two minutes left, this is the final moments, then we can't have excuses why we're not engaging in the mission of Jesus. But we have to go forward into this. And so the, the, what we really have to think about is, the first thing for us tonight is this. If you've never known that first call of salvation, you need to. You need to. And, and I, I, I say that all the time in sermons or something like that. And the reason why I do is because I believe that the Bible makes it very clear that not everyone that's going to say, Lord, Lord, is born again. So I just want to give you that. If you are in this room tonight and you actually have not followed Jesus with your life, confessed him as Lord and repented of your sin and, and, and sought him to forgiveness of your sins, the opportunity is for you today. That's the first call. But the second call is this invitation or this calling that Jesus gives us to his mission, to on mission with Christ. And I just ask you, would you respond to that? Would you consider that? Would you say, I am on mission with Christ. I'm living the mission of Christ out. Would you consider that? Would you begin to think like that? Is that that's how my life is living. And these, these objections that we think that so many people could think of, I don't know what to do. I'm not interested or my heart isn't in it. I don't feel called or I don't feel empowered or equipped. I just encourage you to not let those things stop you. I pray that you see biblically that there's reasons that destroy those thoughts. And really what we are to do is we're to model his ministry, share his his compassion, follow his calling into the harvest that he calls us to, and then to walk in his authority. Guys, this is what God has called us to. And so if you just stand with me, I want to take a moment of prayer and I want you to really 
ask the Lord. I really, I really want you to be honest with God. Just be, have a conversation with the Lord. Only you know whether you've been engaging in these things. Are you engaged in the mission of Jesus? Or has Jesus just become something where it's like, He forgave me of my sins, but there's nothing else really. Or is it, He's forgiven me, and I want to run and fulfill everything that's in His heart and it's in, the, in the heart of God. And, and I want to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ in every way. And so I just want to take a moment and I want to just pray God, right now. I'm going to pray for the harvest in our city. And then these altars will be open. But I want to pray. And I pray that you would pray with me, that you would actually vocalize. Because the fulfillment of the scriptures that we're going to pray together, yes, individually, but as a corporate body, could we agree that God would move in the harvest and that we would continue to see people born again. That we would continue to see people delivered from the powers of darkness into the, into the kingdom of light with Jesus. And so I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to ask the Lord to move in a way of such. So God, we come before you, Jesus, and we do confess, Lord. Lord, that we can't make the harvest happen, God. But we know, Father, that it is you, God, who makes the harvest ripe. And Lord, the harvest is ripe. It is in front of us, God. And Lord, our unwillingness to go, how much fruit has fallen to the ground that has missed the opportunity. God, and so I pray, Father, that you would move within our hearts, God, that you would ripen the harvest and you'd move within our hearts to go into the harvest, God. God, convict us, God, if we're not, God, if, if we've built walls, if, I, if we're built ourselves up with walls around us to protect us from needs because it makes us uncomfortable and it, and it would force us to get involved in the harvest, God, or, or God, we put ourselves in a white ivory towers because we don't want to be involved with people who have brokenness, God. I pray, God, that you would convict us of that, God. God, if there's something in us, God, that says, I, I, I don't know what to do, and we just have excuses, I pray that we would just be very clear tonight. Just go preach the gospel. Go share the good news. Go invite people into the opportunity to have be in the presence of God and involved in his kingdom, his life, and the abundant life that he gives. God, I just pray that you, we would recognize the empowerment you give us is not one that is weak, but it is your authority, Jesus. And Lord, if you've given us that authority, then Jesus, we can actually go and make a difference in the dark places that we are involved in, in our co-workers' lives, God, in our neighbors' lives, God. We can make a difference. It's not some weak thing that we have. We have the authority of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would accept this calling, that we would move forward, God, so that the gospel wouldn't stop with us, God, but it continued to the next person and then the next person, God. So, Lord Jesus, we just come before you, God, and we ask, God, send us into the harvest. Give us the faith and the ability to step into it, God. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the last two years of our church, God, where you've done that so faithfully. But God, help us to never go back, God. And help us to continue. And help us to remember that the time is short. And if the time is short, to live in a manner that would, that would go and make our lives count in the end. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, God. And we give you glory and honor, Jesus.